The scripture reading this morning is from the letter to the Hebrews, the authorship of which is still unknown, but it is written to um, prove the preeminence of Christ to the Jewish Christians who are wavering in their faith and are thinking about moving back to Judaism. About this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, world, in the word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, with instruction about ablutions, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carol. So back in October, the people of Auckland, New Zealand, woke up to a surprise. One day they woke up and they looked out the window and they saw that their, their city had been invaded by an army of black and yellow bicycles. Everywhere they looked around town, there were these, these bicycles, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bicycles. There were bicycles standing up in bike racks and there were bicycles hanging out at street corners and there were bicycles leaning on trees and on buildings. And people in the city wondered, where did all of these bicycles come from? What is going on in our city? And, and slowly word trickled out and people heard the truth behind these these bicycles. The bicycles had been provided by a, a company called Anzo. Anzo had been working for years on a plan to transform the city of Auckland. They had come up with an ingenious bike-sharing scheme. Now, their idea was if we can fill the city with bicycles, if we make bicycles abundantly available and cheap and easy to use, then people will ride bicycles more. People will be active. They will be happy. They will be healthier. There will be less traffic in our community. People will interact with their neighbors more. And so people would get to know each other better. They believed that they could transform the city just by filling it with cheap and readily available bicycles. And they had worked hard on this idea. Really, the plan was, was brilliant. What, what they did was this. They built sturdy, lightweight bicycles that were just about the right size for anybody to ride. And, and each one of these bicycles had a sort of a, a locking mechanism that would, that would clamp down on the back tire. And if you wanted to use the, the bicycle, all you had to do was, was use your cell phone to scan a sort of a barcode on the bicycle and that would unlock the clamp from the tire and then you could ride the bicycle for as long as you wanted it, just 25 cents for every 15 minutes. That's practically free, $1 an hour. You could ride that bicycle anywhere you wanted. When you got to where you were going, you just leave the bicycle there for somebody else to use so they can get to where they need to go. It was a brilliant plan. The bikes had, had baskets on the front for books and groceries. They had solar panels. 
that charged a GPS unit so you could walk out your front door and look at a map on your phone and you could see where the nearest bicycle was no matter where you were in the city. It was a brilliant plan. They had put a lot of thought into this plan. And for a few days, everything went exactly according to plan. For a few days, it was, it was beautiful. The city really was transformed by these bicycles. Everywhere you went in the city, you could see people whizzing around on these black and yellow bicycles. You saw business people in suits whizzing around on bicycles. You saw moms out doing, doing errands in their bicycles. You saw families out for a ride on these bicycles. People were out in the sunshine. They were active. They were happy. They were smiling. They were greeting each other. For a few days, these bicycles really did transform the city. But then one morning, something changed. One morning people woke up and they walked outside and they looked, looked for a bicycle and they saw that there were, were no bicycles handy. For some reason that morning it seemed like the bicycles were, were scarce. They were fewer and farther between and so people pulled out their phones to find out where all the bicycles had gone to and looking at the map on their phones they discovered that there was a great big herd of bicycles down at the city harbor. Not at the city harbor, in the city harbor. Somebody had spent the night throwing dozens and dozens of bicycles into the water water down at the city harbor. Nobody knew who it was. Was it teenagers having a prank? Was it a disgruntled taxi driver who was losing out on business because of these, these bicycles? Nobody knew who was vandalizing the bicycles, but it kept on happening night after night. Morning after morning, people would wake up to find that there were fewer and fewer bicycles. They ended up in the harbor. They ended up in the river. Some mornings, people woke up and found the bicycles up in the top of trees. Somebody was climbing trees and stranding bicycles up in the treetops and these bicycles, they got to be a scarce commodity. And so people started doing what we do whenever there is a scarce commodity. People started hoarding the bicycles. People would ride the bicycle home and then instead of leaving it out for somebody else to use, they would carry it up the stairs and bring it into their apartment at night and lock the door so that they knew that they would have a bicycle in the morning. Some of the businesses in downtown Auckland started having great big congregations of bicycles bicycles that they kept in their parking garage and they were available for their employees to use but nobody else and so suddenly all of the bicycles disappeared and you can imagine can't you just imagine how frustrating this must have been for the people at Anzo and they plugged away at it God bless them a reporter asked an Anzo executive at one point are you are you thinking about giving up are you ready to declare this experiment a failure and the executive said no he said we know we have to be patient we understand that it will take a while for people to catch on to just how beautiful the whole idea of, of sharing can be. And so they kept on plugging away at it. They poured hundreds and then thousands of new bicycles into the city. But as fast as they put new bicycles out on the streets, the, the bicycles disappeared. And then finally, just this week, something happened that may have been the straw that broke the camel's back. This week, a man was taking a walk at a place called Mount Eden. Now, Mount Eden is a, a dormant volcano near the city of Auckland. It's the highest point for, for miles and miles around, and it's popular with hikers and, and with walkers. You can go up to the top of this volcano, and you can look out over the city, or you can look down into the, the majestic crater of this sleeping volcano, and that's what this walker did. This week, a man was taking a walk up on the rim, and he looked down into the crater, and what do you think he saw down there in the very center of the 
bowl? What do you think he saw at the very bottom of the crater of this sleeping volcano? He saw a black and yellow Anzo bicycle. He said it was wet out there. It was slippery. Somebody had to work awfully hard to get that bicycle down in the bottom of the volcano and then get back out again. He went back to the city and told people what he saw. Word, word got around the city about this bicycle in the volcano and then word began to spread through the news media all around the world about the bicycle in the volcano. And as I read this story this week, I wondered what it must have been like to be in the offices of Anzo this week. What do you think the mood was like in the offices of the Anzo Corporation this week? I imagined, I imagined in my mind an Anzo executive reading the news and seeing this story about their bicycle that was stranded at the bottom of a volcano. And I imagined his face turning red, right? And then I imagined him opening up the window and leaning his head out the window and shouting at the city of Auckland, what is wrong with you people? We gave you this beautiful thing. We had this brilliant idea that had the potential to transform our city, that had the potential to change your lives, and you are ruining it. You are wasting it. You are letting this opportunity slip through your fingers. I imagine that there was frustration and hurt and disappointed at Anzo headquarters this week. And that frustration and hurt and disappointed that must have been floating around the offices of Anzo this week, that is the same frustration and hurt and disappointment that we hear in this morning's scripture reading. In today's reading, we have a, a passage from the letter to the Hebrews. As Carol said, nobody knows who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Some people think maybe it was the Apostle Paul. Other people say maybe it was a leader in the church, a woman named Priscilla. We don't know exactly who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. What we do know is this, this letter, this book of the New Testament was written by a preacher who had had enough. It was written by a, a preacher who was disgruntled and disappointed and hurt and frustrated at what she saw happening in the church. This letter was written by a pastor who believed that the church was moving in a backwards direction, not forward towards God. This, this this preacher had been a part of the church since the very beginning of the church. You know, this preacher was somebody who had seen in that brief shining moment just after the day of Pentecost what a beautiful and powerful thing the Christian faith can be when people actually try to live it together. You know, the book of Acts tells us what those early days of the church were like. The, the book of Acts tells us after Jesus was raised from the dead, after God poured out the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus began to live together in a way that was unlike anything the world had ever seen. They started gathering together each day and they worshipped and they worshipped with passion. They worshipped with intensity. They worshipped in the spirit and they decided that they were going to share all things in common together. People let go of their worldly possessions. They said, what belongs to me now belongs to you because everything really belongs to God. And so people didn't hold anything back for themselves. And because they shared everything, there was no want. There was no need in the church. The, the widows were fed. The orphans were cared for. Nobody went hungry in the church. It was a beautiful, powerful moment when everyone was growing in their faith and the church was growing in numbers week after week after week. But then one morning, something happened. One Sunday morning, some new people showed up. And these new people, they liked the stories about Jesus and they liked the music and the singing and the organ and the stained glass windows, but they weren't too sure about, sure about this, this sharing thing. 
And so when the offering plates got passed around that Sunday morning, as they were coming through the pews, these people just passed them on and said, no, thank you. We're just here for the show. And other people noticed that they weren't sharing what they had. And people said, well, if they don't have to share, then I'm not going to share either. And all of a sudden, people started holding on tightly to their worldly possessions. People started hoarding their things. And, and of course, that atmosphere of suspicion and bitterness and distrust, it started to affect the worship of the church. People were no longer worshiping passionately in the spirit, but instead people would just sit in the pews with their arms crossed and they would glare at each other wondering, how much do you think she put in the offering plate this morning? And how much am I going to put in this morning if she doesn't have to put any in? Everybody was grumpy. Everybody was crabby. Everybody was cranky. Everybody was angry. People lost the affection for each other. They lost the affection that they had once had for God. And Sunday suddenly became the only Christian thing they did all week long. Suddenly the Christian faith was no longer something that they lived together. It was just something that they heard about for an hour on Sunday morning. And this preacher watched it happen. This preacher watched people walking backwards away from God. She saw the church beginning to fall apart and finally one day out of frustration and hurt she sat down and wrote an open letter to the people of the church and essentially what this letter of Hebrews is is this preacher opening the window and sticking her head out and saying what is wrong with you? God gave us this beautiful powerful thing. God gave us a gospel that has the potential to change our lives and transform this world, and we are ruining it. We are wasting it. We are letting this opportunity slip through our fingers. In this morning's reading, she says, I want to take you to the deep places, but you are not ready to go to the deep places. You are still swimming in the shallow end. You've still got your water wings on. She says, some of you have been Christians for 30 years now. And you haven't learned anything new about Jesus in 29 years. Some of you have been believers for 30 years and your hearts are still as tough and as hard as they were three decades ago. You're not growing at all. She says, I want to I wanna give you solid food, but you're still drinking milk out of a bottle. I want to give you the filet mignon that God has prepared for you, but you are still ordering off of the kitty menu. Can you hear the frustration and the hurt and disappointment in her voice? I, I heard that same frustration and hurt and disappointment in the voice of another preacher this week. Earlier this week, I was talking to a, a pastor from one of the other churches here in Flint, and he was telling me about uh, the sermon that he preached in his church last Sunday. He said, I got up on Sunday and I was trying to help the people of my congregation understand that Jesus came to teach us a way of living that is unlike anything that you will experience anywhere else in this world. He said, I got up and I explained to people that this world tells you that there are only two options. Either you go right or you go left. Either you are conservative or you're liberal. Either you're MSNBC or you're Fox News. And you have to choose a team. You have to pick a side. And then you have to choose to you live the rest of your life hating and being angry at the people who are on the other team. He said, but Jesus came to teach us a different way. Jesus came to teach us a more gentle and a more peaceable way. Jesus came to teach us a way that involves loving even the people who would make themselves our enemies. And he said, if you want to walk in that peaceable, gentle way of Jesus, he said, it's easy to take the first step. Here's how you do it. He said, this week when you, when you get on Facebook... When you find yourself on social media and you're scrolling through Facebook and you see something that makes you angry, 
When you see somebody has posted a, an MSNBC story and it makes you mad and you want to respond to that MSNBC story with a Fox News story, he said, just don't. Don't do it. Don't respond in the way that this world has taught us to respond. And he said, when you're scrolling through Facebook and you see a, a conservative meme that makes you angry and you want to respond with a liberal meme and start an argument, start a fight, he said, just don't, he said, instead, talk to God about how Jesus would have you love this person. Ask Jesus, how can I enter into a fruitful conversation with this person where we can actually seek to understand and love one another? And he said, as he was preaching this message, he saw a man who was leaning forward in his pew, and he had, had tears rolling down his cheeks. And he said, this man was notorious in the church for getting into fights on Facebook. He said, this man had alienated who knows how many friends and family members and people in the church and, and neighbors by picking arguments and, and insulting people and saying angry things on Facebook. And he said, this man just had tears rolling down his face. He said, after worship, this man came up to me and he wrapped his arms around me and he said, thank you, pastor. I really, I really needed to hear that. And this pastor said, I felt good going home from church that Sunday. He said, I felt like the gospel had made a difference in our community that morning. He said, I felt like the preaching mattered that day. I felt like the worship made a difference that day. He said, I slept really well that night. And then I got up on Monday morning, and I logged on to Facebook. And who do you think I saw there doing all of the same old things, posting all of the same memes, getting into all of the same arguments, hurling all of the same insults, hurting all of the same feelings? He said, I realized that here in the church we had a man who wanted to hear the gospel, but he didn't want to receive the gospel. He wanted to believe the gospel, but he didn't want to live the gospel. He wanted to know about the gospel, but he did not want to practice the gospel. I heard hurt and disappointment and pain in that pastor's voice. And in weeks to come, we're going to hear lots about growing in our faith. We're going to talk about how to grow in our faith. We're going to talk about what it looks like when Christians are growing in faith. We're going to talk about the things that keep us from growing in faith. But for right now, today, at the very beginning of this conversation, I'm not going to give you any tips. I'm going to, not going to teach you any techniques. I'm not going to offer you any advice today. I simply want to start this conversation by asking a question, and this may be the most important question that I ask all month long. This may be the only part of this sermon series that really matters to some of you. If you if you don't have an answer to this question, then nothing we do for the rest of the month of July is going to matter at all in your life. The question I want to ask today is very simply this. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be transformed by the gospel? Do you want to receive a spirit of new life? Do you want to walk out of this place just a little bit different than you were when you came in? Do you want to be transformed so that this world might be transformed? Do you want to become more and more like Jesus each day? Do you want to strive with God to go on to perfection? Are you ready? Are you ready to stop ordering off the kitty menu? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the preacher who wrote this letter. We give you thanks for those people who see us walking in a backwards direction and open the window and shout to wake us up. God, we pray that you would wake us up this morning. God, we pray that we would catch the vision, the dream of your kingdom today. 
that we might begin here in this place today to practice the way that Jesus taught us, to live, not just to believe, but to live the gospel. God, we pray that in some way today, our hearts would be a little softer, our words would be a little more peaceable, our lives would be a little different because we gathered in your house with your family. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.